Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, number 63. I have nothing witty to say this evening. My name is Brian Heineser. With me this evening, (laughs) thank you, is Ian. (laughs) Hey, everybody. And of course, Mac. Who usually has something witty to say. But not tonight. Uh, Could be. All right. And, uh, And the most witty of them all, Kimberly. Hello, I am just back uh, with about an hour ago from the land of humidity. I was out on the East Coast, and boy, am I, I'm so glad to be back in Colorado with no humidity, nice temperatures. It's a pleasure, ah. and a pleasure to be here with you guys. You know, that reminds me, um, I, was in a conversa- I was in a conversation with my wife in the car, and we were talking about the humidity, and I somehow managed to refer to precipitation as humiliation. So I said that they were looking at a chance of humiliation later in the afternoon. Nice. <laughs> so uh, what else? Is, I, I, I've been, you know, I got computer problems at work, which, you know. Is, no problem. You were having computer problems? Well, you know, we do cluster computing at work, and uh, and we've got this new cluster, and and I don't, and I, you know, I've been thinking that we haven't been utilizing it properly. And so we were running one of uh, one of our jobs, and I went and got the program. And I said, "Look, you're using two cores of 24, and you're barely touching the memory." I said, "We're, we're not, you know, we're not utilizing this properly." And I and I told her how I wanted to run MPI, and she she said no. So I ran some um, some tests, and I showed her how I could run MPI and get these tests to like just hammer the cluster so she said okay let's try it and and we did and we got these awesome results but her program should automatically thread it and take full advantage of the system but it's not so we've been you know going through all the documentation and there's several different versions of mpi that we have been trying to figure out exactly um which one we're using why we're using it and how to code for it and it's been uh it's been quite fun you know the fact that we got this thing to run I mean, we got it to run way faster than we ever have before and, you know, and almost utilize the machine. We're not quite there. It's, we're not quite taxing out the whole cluster the way that I want to, but we've never run it this way before. So it's been great. Well, I was afraid for a moment you were going to tell us that you, uh, you were using cluster computing and you'd accidentally added the appropriate suffix. It's four letters. Figure it out. <laughs> Yes. No. 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 But no. But it's been it's been good because you know it, uh, I I kind of needed a win at work too. I've had so many you know just so many computer problems here lately. I feel like I'm uh trying to uh I'm all constantly playing catch up with all the broken equipment. It feels like, and so it was nice to finally get to do something that was productive. And That's I just good. yeah, all the other stuff is productive, right? I'm keeping everything running so that you know so that nobody knows what's breaking, you know, so that they can just keep working. So. But I think that is the bane of most network administrators that you, you spend a lot of time, you know, um, maintaining infrastructure so that everybody else can keep working. Yeah. And it's not fun. It's yeah. just necessary. And, and, and if you're doing it right, like you say, nobody knows how much work you're putting into because they're they're working just straight through. They have no idea all the stuff going on. Right. It can be thankless. It can yeah. be. Yeah. And it can be the – it can be just ahead of the disaster curve, but – I'm well, glad you did something productive too. Yeah. Well, I have a I have a um a cluster that I've had dropout problems with the hard drives, and I recently did a whole bunch of research reading all the forms and everything. And these drives are just notorious problems, and so I'm trying to get them out of that cluster as quickly as possible. But of course, that's difficult because every time you take a drive out, it's got to rebuild, and because these drives have a tendency to drop out, you're scared half to death that you're gonna ha- that they're gonna drop out on you, and you're gonna lose the whole array. So it's just not stable. What kind of drives? They're Seagates, of course. Seagates are usually reliable but slow. Um, this, yeah, but this model, they had a firmware problem, and ah. if you, and if you look at the forums, it's like people are like, "How can we ever trust Seagate again after this disastrous firmware problem?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but all drive manufacturers have gone through this. Hitachi's gone through it. Western Digital's gone through it. They all do. So the you know it happens. Mm-hmm. How are you guys doing? Well, work wise, I'm not working. No, I thought that you were working on something new. I am. I, I've left my, my previous position. That's ended. And uh, I am in the middle of opening up my own firm, which is going to be called Rational Resolution. And it'll be a mediation firm. Um, I'm trying to... Uh, 
I, I mean, I have to build it. Obviously, I'm, I'm starting from scratch. I'm, I'm in the middle of getting my professional degree certification kind of thing. Um, but I'm hoping to serve the secular and LGBT communities in alternative conflict resolution. So, but right now, uh, it's not officially a company yet, and I'm not going into any of this. So, it's an interesting couple of weeks I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and surprisingly busier than I normally would be, I think, if I had a regular old job. I feel like I'm running around a lot more than I normally do. Well, when I see you on Google Talk, it says available, probably at work bored. <laughs> I probably need to change you that. You should then. probably change that, huh? <laughs> Kimberly, I, I take it you're focusing on nonviolent conflict resolution? Well, you know, if somebody needs a smack. No, absolutely. Um, the see, the idea is yeah, you, you want to smack people? Go for it. So, well, yep. I'll tell you, sometimes you, in, in, in this stuff, you kind of um, verbally smack some people sometimes to kind of get them kind of get them back on track, let them give them a reality check. I, I, I think sometimes reality checks hit people like a like a smack. It's certainly emotional, if not if not violent. But it's been great. I, I absolutely love it. I love helping people out. And it's really very satisfying. So I'm hoping it all uh, all comes together. Yeah, that sounds like it should be fun. Yeah. Um, do you have some announcements for us? Sure do. There's lots going on. So um, coming up in Las Vegas, I will not be attending this year, but one year I'm going to get there for the amazing meeting. Uh, it should be great. There's always really great stuff that comes out of there. You can catch a lot of the speeches on YouTube and stuff like that. So the amazing meeting is July 12th to the 15th. Closer to home here in Denver, uh, something that's just starting up actually this week uh, in uh, at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. They're doing a sci-fi film series. This kind of sounds like the kind of thing that's right up our alley. Uh, the idea is that once a week they're going to be showing a classic science fiction movie, and then they're going to have scientists come in to basically lead a discussion about the science behind it. They're starting with 2001. They're doing a movie called Monsters. Um, which I, I, I don't recognize that one. The rest of them I do. Um, and if, so Monsters is going to be on the 18th. A little bit later is they're doing The Core. On August 1st, they're doing The Fly. And one that I absolutely will not miss is 12 Monkeys because that's a just awesome movie. And I'd love to talk to somebody who's uh, a scientist who's involved in that. Um, let's My see. wife is a big fan of the movie The Core. Uh, any okay. any world disaster movie though, mm -hmm. Armageddon, volcano, day after tomorrow, you know, Twelve Monkeys. That that is that is one of Brad Pitt's best roles. Yeah, yep. and Bruce Willis's. I mean, that that movie yeah. I I think just absolutely yeah. rocks. Absolutely. So anyway, um, but it, it sounds like a really cool, neat thing that they're doing. Um, you know, science fiction with some science behind it. I'm all about it. I love it. Uh, also at the Denver Museum on Thursday the 19th, they're doing their science lounge and it's the Geek Olympics. I don't know if I'll be an actual, you know, geek leaf, geek leet or something, or I don't know what they're calling them, but I'm attending. I don't know if I'll actually be uh, participating. The, so, uh, Saturday, July 21st, there is a free Colorado Secular Conference out in Grand Junction. Uh, first of its kind, should be really interesting, and uh, if you can make it all the way out there, I think you'll have a, a really good time. Take a look at that one. Uh, the next day, the Free Thought Exchange, which used to be Into the Churches from our buddy Jason, is doing First Baptist in Evergreen. The Boulder Atheists are doing Atheism 101 on current atheist books on Wednesday, July 25th. Um, another big thing coming into town is the Freethought Film Festival. It's going to be starting on Tuesday the 31st with a tap takeover. So they're basically taking over a bar and it, there's a certain fee and it's the whole night you can drink and I guess, kick off this film festival. The next day, they're doing the Poker in the Church. This one sounds really interesting. I don't know if I can afford to go, but uh, I do enjoy playing Texas Hold'em. And it's going to be a big competition. Again, really interesting stuff. And then the actual film festival goes from Thursday through the uh, the 5th of August, uh, which is a Sunday. They've got about 12 or 13 films. They sound interesting. There's a number of them with Q&As with the filmmakers. So that should be pretty interesting. Um, that, uh, that poker in the church. Um, are they having an open bar in that, perhaps in the front? <laughs> perhaps. 
Uh-oh. Liquor in the front, poker in the rear. Good. I didn't say it. I did. Um, <laughs> please take out the explicit tag. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it should be interesting. Anyway, I, I would definitely look into it. Um, on Sunday, August 5th, the Curiosity is the, the new probe going to Mars. It's a lot of the, it's a really unique landing that's going to be happening. They're going to be doing a live broadcast, I guess, to kind of monitor the landing on, uh, on Sunday, August 5th at the museum. There's a number of scientists at the museum who were involved in the creation of this new landing cycle or structure. Um, I, I, I think it should be really cool. I think that's another one to look at. And then finally, you've heard me mention it before, Friday, August 30th, over Labor Day weekend, ending Monday, September 3rd, is the Atheist Alliance of America conference. It's going to be amazing. We haven't ever seen anything like this in Denver, Colorado, and I hope absolutely everybody who listens will make it out there. Please go ahead and take a look. Uh, the speakers are amazing. Get your tickets. You will have an awesome time. What, who, and that's what, what I've got for announcements. What? Who is on the speaker list for that? PZ Myers. Seth uh, Seth Andrews, who does The Thinking Atheist. Jessica Alquist is going to be there. Mikey Weinstein. Victor Stanger is going to be doing the key the keynote. Eugenie Scott is going to be the recipient of the 2012 Richard Dawkins Award. Um, we've got um, Cecil Bothwell. He's the uh, guy who ran in North Carolina as an open atheist. Greta Christina, Dan Barker, Aaron Ra. Um, and I'm just picking a couple of the names out of here. Uh, Matt Dillahunty. Who else do I know? Um, a lot of people from different podcasts and blogs mm-hmm. are going to be there. Uh, it's. It, I think it's going to be really a pretty fascinating show. Cool. All right. All right. So we got some feedback this week, uh, gentlemen. Um, the email came in as John Smith, but it looks like the gentleman's name is Glenn. Yeah, I'm guessing it was um, Heidi's name in the emails, what it looked like. Yeah. Mac, you want to read this? Uh, sure. I'll be happy Please. to read it. Let me go ahead and pull it up real quick. Well, I can read it. I got it right here. No, All you right, can't read it. <laughs> you can't. Let Mac. Okay. Give me a second. And the reason, the reason for that is is because the, the sound quality is so much better coming from Mac. Because I have a rich, soothing voice. No, you, your headset just works better. <laughs> it is a sexy voice, though. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to, you know, it's sexy. Does it make you horny, baby? Does it? Does it make you Randy? <laughs> All right, let me pull up here. No, it doesn't uh, make me Bobby either. Would you just read the email? That's not what up. Glenn wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I am pulling it up. Okay. And the fonts are all weird on this too. <laughs> well, that was one reason why I didn't catch the name the first time. However, was it, it came out, it was all kind of mushed together. In yeah, a it's like it was copy and pasted or something. I don't know. All right. So from John Smith, aka Glenn. First, I would like to say thanks for the podcast and keep up the good work. With niceties aside, I would like to ask your opinion of one of my coworkers' ideas. He thinks it might be possible for vaccines to indirectly cause autism. His idea is that people who are more likely to get autism would have died from other illnesses and unable to pass their genes on to the next generation. I could not think of a way he might be wrong, but I am just a silly, a silly hillbilly with less than stellar public education. I understand that you may be unable to read this, but if you are able to in your insight, would be wonderful. I know you already know this, but I think it does not hurt to say, to, to re-say it, not all Southern hillbilly, etc., are right-wing nutjobs that want to take rights away. Also, I would like to thank Kimberly, and it's highlighted, for giving the term equal rights to be correct for gay rights. Maybe I am just not smart enough to come up with that on my own. But it beautifully explains to bigots that LGBT are not asking for anything special, just what is due. Thanks, Glenn. So, um, uh, and you guys were all great about responding to this too, and everybody did. So I, I did not. When we all pretty much agreed, yeah. right off that the argument's slippery slope. I mean, the idea that hey, our healthcare is getting better, so that means that um, there's going to be more diseases out there. And like, wait a moment, that means why have better healthcare? It'd be, it, it's really a weak argument in that regard. Well, it's like you know, if if I cured them of cancer, they're going to drink themselves to death. Right. So I shouldn't have cured them of cancer. <laughs> I mean, so it was a silly argument. I, I don't quite know how someone would come up with. Right, but the other thing is that what we're concerned about with vaccines and autism is that it either causes it or it doesn't. It, there's no indirect cause of autism because these people wouldn't have survived. I mean. Yeah. 
So basically, better healthcare is an indirect cause of autism now. Uh, that doesn't seem to, you know, mean we should go backwards and start, you know, having the healthcare of a hundred years ago. There, there's no r- rational logic to that. No, I, I, I didn't think so either. Um, and I, I, the hillbilly comments were, uh, I don't know, it's like we're being baited with well, this no. email. Uh, you know, actually, I think he was. Just, I don't think he was baiting us. I think he was just being self-deprecating. Yeah. No, okay. I, I brought that up with him. I don't know if you guys read my response to him, and I, I'm, I wasn't quite sure. I was, I was wondering on that. But I said, we know that you know, because we, I, we have made comments like that. I'm well aware. You know, we've dogged on the South because Texas and stuff doing the really stupid laws. And so I wrote him about that, and his reply was he actually wasn't offended. He was, he was basically talking about the fact that he is surrounded by these people. He's well aware of it. And okay. he even said there is a certain level of reality to such stereotypes. And so he wasn't really upset over that. Okay. I'm not quite, you know, he, he talked about on um, the high school mascot as a fighting cock. And, you know, he really thinks he's surrounded by all this hillbilliness. And so, I'm, I'm guessing that it's feathered. <laughs> yeah. Because that would be interesting to see on the sign for the high school if it's not. There, yeah. There's no shame in not being able to come up to an answer with something right away, thinking something doesn't sound right, and and just saying, listen, I don't know at the moment. I'll look into it. There's nothing wrong with that, and it, and it doesn't matter about you know level of education. It's all a matter of, of being aware when you don't know something and being able to step back and say, doesn't sound right to me. I will go check this out and find a reputable source, yep. and that's really what we all need to do. Uh-huh. And and it sounds like I mean he he's certainly doing that I mean by by asking us which I mean we're by no means experts or a reputable source but at least we've thought about these kinds of things and we can help maybe guide him. And if anything, you know, the hope of this is an experience for him. You know, he, he's getting some more information about. It. He's hope, uh, opening his mind a bit, seeing how these arguments can go together. And in the future, you know, he should be a step ahead of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's definitely trying to educate himself, it sounds like. Well, and certainly the fact that he listened to this and he's like, it sounds wrong to me, but right. I don't have an answer right now, which happens to me all the time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and it is, I mean, it's a great little argument because it's like, well, I, I do see, I do see where the premise starts. Like I said, I, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't, I think there's a lot of things wrong with it. I don't think it really shows causation for one. Right. But it's a great way of raising it from the other side because it is very, very difficult to attack it because there's, there is some internal logic to it. Well, but so, to say, um, those people are dying of old age because you didn't shoot them when they were younger. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it falls apart on that for sure, but I think it, it, it's one of those arguments that just if it's phrased correctly and you don't and you and you accept the phrasing without you, I think you have to challenge the phrasing I guess is what I'm saying here of the way it's it's trying to pose the question but it's an ingenious way of putting it it's a great thinker I I have to say I I came back to it a couple of times uh in the last week since since we got the email and um yeah I I mean I really enjoyed thinking about it because it's just such a different attack on the on right. the question than we nor- than you normally hear. So um, I, I say kudos to his friend for coming up with it or, or posing it in this particular way. But uh, I, I do, and, and I think it's a, an interesting thought experiment. And like I said, I, I, when I first read it, I, I didn't have my answer quite ready. I kind of it was in the same boat of, yeah, there is something wrong with that. Now what is it? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I did, a, I did a fair amount of thinking about it also before I threw my own answer in there. And, you know, Glenn, if I kind of scared you off with my answer, I do apologize for that. But, you know, I came back to the email a couple of times during the week and reread it and just thought about it a couple more times. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was great. So, and we also got some um, some feedback on our uh, on the website. Um, yeah, this is just like last day or so. Yeah, from Andrew. Um, mm-hmm. And Andrew said that he, you know, he he talked about um, he had an experience drowning, and uh, he was he really um, well. I guess he just confirmed what we were saying about how. Um, he basically uh, said he tried to yell out, but when he did, water came in. And, you know, it was impossible for him to um, make any noise. Right. And then he um, also offered an idea um, in my list of books. Uh, he said I missed one, which uh, I imagine I missed plenty. But um, uh, the one that he suggested sounds like it's a lot of fun. It's uh, Quirky Logic by Richard Wiseman. 
And uh, and he'd also in that book mentions the invisible gorilla, which who doesn't mention the invisible gorilla? Even um, um, I don't mention the invisible gorilla. Well, I, I did now, but I mainly talk about the elephant in the room. Right. No, this is interesting though. Um, I I so I you know I had I I've heard about the experiment many times, and so I finally I I said I had to track down the video, and I did. I tracked down the official video, and I watched it, and of course I saw the gorilla. Me too. Um, but I didn't see the other things that were happening. So, for the listeners, go don't, watch the video first. We need to throw it up there. Yeah, don't give don't give away anything more than the than the gorilla. Um, so go watch the video now and see what we're talking about, and then come well, back. I mean, you you need to you need to do it in the the experiment was was talking about how if you're how how much how many things your brain can work on at one time right so if you're not participating in the experiment it's fairly obvious what's going on but it wasn't because there were other things going on in the video since everybody knows about the gorilla there are well and i guess i'm giving it away even by saying that there is a lot more happening in that video um, when you're watching it so even though i was you know counting the ball moving and i saw the gorilla i missed a whole bunch of other stuff but I thought okay. the ball was thrown by the white team, which is what you're supposed to focus on. That's what you were told to focus on. Right. How many times did the white team throw the ball? I, I got that perfect. The um, gorilla I caught, the other things in there, I was too focused on what I was supposed to be focused on. I was focusing on the ball and and catching the gorilla. I mean, you can't not. You know it's coming. But uh, but I was I was pleasantly surprised watching the video. But that goes back to some stuff from the last podcast, you know, how we focus on things, what our brain um, proceed as we go along. So it was, a, you know, definitely a fun little thing to do. Yeah. Yep. It was a uh, quite entertaining. So we've got a, a couple of articles in here that I think we should cover real quick. Um, yeah, fun ones. Yeah. Zombie apocalypse, which unfortunately I have not read. Um, but go ahead and, uh, basically, um, what I found was a couple of talking about how, um, <clears throat> realtor.com is, I guess, trying to have some fun and put some stuff out there that they, they're trying, you know, some property they're trying to sell in a unique, fun manner. And basically what they've done is they're saying, okay, these are, here are 16 fortresses for star saving off the zombie apocalypse. And it goes through some of these really nice big complexes, basically, that um, they, they give the reason why, you know, they, they, they're perfect for keeping you safe when the zombies come. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of them are stuff like the first one here, um, the modern castle in Austin, Texas, basically the, um, $5.25 million, but the defense is a 200-foot wood and steel escape bridge that leads from the main house to the private boathouse on the lake. So basically, when the zombies come and attack, you have an escape route. It's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it goes through you know a bunch of castles, and they even had a Hogwarts-like. I think they even called it Hogwarts. They did. And it's in Wisconsin, I think, or Michigan? Um, Michigan. Alcuna. Okay. $99.9 million. They're just short of $100 million mark. Anti-zombie stronghold. That is... You know, I do happen to like the uh, the nuclear missile silo home. Is that yeah, the that one? that's good. That's the one that's underground. Yeah. The, oh, the, oh, the, I got the anti-zombie stronghold that's also underground. Uh, I think the Hogwarts thing might be fictional here because it looks exactly like the Hogwarts they have down in uh, in Florida <laughs> at, at at Universal Studios. Because I went a couple of months ago, and and this is going into uh, stuff about how it's a co-educational institution develops <laughs> magical abilities. Kimberly, it, it's it's a charter school. I think it's Montessori. <laughs> Montessori, Montezuma, something. Oh, yeah, these are really cool. This is this is pretty neat. Why you can defend them the best, escape route stuff like that. Uh, Oh, a nuclear missile silo home. That is really cool. All right, so well, I mean, you don't here. You know, it's interesting. We we could we could go back and talk about the uh, the the preppers. You know, these people who are prepping for these disasters. You remember when we talked about um, the online, well, the food insurance place. Yeah. And but there are tons of these things now. And I you know, I, I'm not against the idea of having supplies around in case of a disaster because even here in Colorado we could get snowed in for a couple of days. Um you know, I mean so it, so having food around for that kind of a thing is is a good idea. Um but these but some of these people are going way, way overboard with the amount of prepping that they're doing, you know, for the apocalypse. 
doesn't Discovery now have a show where they go to the different people that are doing the yeah their the, the whole story, and each of them you know have stuff like that. Oh well, we're preparing for the zombie apocalypse. We're preparing for when Bigfoot takes over the world, stuff like that. Yeah, I I think it's called Preppers. Is is that not right? Let's see. Let's see. Um, but yeah, I haven't watched it. My friends were telling me about it. They're like, you've got to watch this show. Yeah, that's for it. I found American Preppers Network. Uh, Preppers Colorado, uh, Colorado Preppers Groups. I don't know. I do find it a lot of fun, though. I, I was saying earlier that I uh, I like going for walks around neighborhoods and just. I mean, they're not they're not quite these kind of perfect zombie places, but I do like looking at homes and and kind of evaluating them for for their zombie apocalypse survivability. Because you know, once once the apocalypse happens, of course, you need to move quickly. You need to get into a place that you that can sustain you for a while. You know, there's the simple things like having you know a, a place where you can take out the stairs so that you can be safe on the upper floors, but you know, still have the accessibility to get out and scavenge and get more weapons and more food and stuff like that. So it's you know, it's it's a great intellectual game of of putting all of the different variables together sure. that you need to survive because it's it's not you know it's not just a place the zombies can't get to if that was all it was you could go like to a water tower or something like that but while the zombies weren't getting to you you'd starve to death so right. that's no good but I had a panel yeah. a couple years ago at Mile High Con where they talked about prepping for that yeah i think if you can get to a walmart and secure it you're in good shape Found the it's Doomsday Preppers. Yeah, found yeah. the National Geographic camp. Yeah, I found it too. National Geographic's Doomsday Preppers. The title of the show was "I Hope I Am Crazy." Well, I haven't watched it. I'd certainly like to see it. So, if you have to choose your favorite form of post-apocalyptic America, like mm-hmm. how we got there. You know, you've got you've got several ways of doing it. You've, of course, got the zombie apocalypse. You've got your rapture, which, quite frankly, might be the best one. It's, it's the least violent. And, gosh, just think of the people you wouldn't have to deal with if the rapture really happened. The so rapture is great on pest control. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, there's comets. There's, you know, your stand type of... Uh, worldwide disease. Also great on pest control. We have one prepper, Megan, who is prepping to survive the catastrophic oil crisis. Apparently when oil goes bad, all hell's going to break loose. Um, Next guy is prepping for a killer earthquake that could completely flatten the city of L.A. Uh, Christopher there. Kathy is preparing for a black swan event like a catastrophe, catastrophic new Madrid Earthquake, the Earthquake one. Um, we got Paul and Gloria who are preparing for a polar shift that will cause sudden climate change and will change life as we know it forever. We have Dennis who is preparing for a, <laughs> basically, uh, coronial mass ejection in 2012 that will likely take out the electrical grid and knock civilization back to the Stone Age. We have Kevin who is uprooting his family in preparation for the polar shift 2012. Uh, Michael, who is preparing for the crumbling of our society due to overpopulation. Okay. Preston, who is preparing to survive a catastrophic nuclear accident. Catastrophic what event? Nuclear. Ah, uh, sure. Who is preparing... Nu- nuclear. Nuclear. <laughs> Becky, who is preparing for civil unrest due to the economy downfall resulting in the government taking over her city. Uh, Donna, who is preparing for a worldwide pandemic. Uh, I'll just give a couple more. It looks like it goes on and on. Uh, Martin, who is preparing to survive the next great depression caused by a worldwide economic collapse. Yeah, it does not sound too surprising that they were not yeah. they were not limited by the number of wackos out yeah. there. There's a there's a role playing game. Well, the question is, are they wackos? Tim, who is preparing his family for the total destruction of the power grid. Uh, Pat, who is preparing for the downfall of society through hyperinflation. So. So there's a fair amount of them. Yeah, how, where, where are the people who are preparing once the gays are allowed to marry? Isn't that supposed to be the fall of Western civilization? What would you? What exactly would you do to prep for that? <laughs> I mean, just what? What exactly are you in a stockpile? I don't know. Like I said, I mean, I just, I just find it fascinating. There's so many. I mean, of course, you know, the world's going to end in just. I mean, we're on the countdown now. We're we're yep. coming up on the end of the world in December. Yeah. 
We've only got a few podcasts left to record before we are shown the error of our ways. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I just, I, I, I'm more interested, you know, I'm not going obviously into the whole prepping kind of thing, but I do, I find the, uh, the end of the world scenarios, those apocalyptic scenarios, just absolutely intriguing to think on. Like, what would you do? My you know, the, the day after. Scoutmaster <laughs> one time said if nuclear war were to break out, what he would do is take, get his family, climb on the roof of the house, sit back, just have basically a picnic and watch it happen. You know, it, and I can't agree with him. It's like it, nuclear war in that case, it probably would be a little point in dra- trying to fight it. Just, you know, find something to do to enjoy the last moment. Well, is, it, is anybody preparing for a super volcano? I mean, we, we have, you know, a super volcano underneath uh, Yellowstone. That could go. There was a uh, there was a forecast. I think it was from out in Virginia where they were talking about how they were actually expecting a volcano to go off earlier in the week, but its effects would be mitigated by Godzilla. By Godzilla, <laughs> excellent. No, but I mean, if well, I mean, we're we're close enough that if uh, if the super volcano I think were to go off, um, we don't have a chance. Mm. Now we have a weird obsession with this survival thing because so many of these um, movies that have these huge catastrophes like. What point is it worth it? I mean, if, if, um, like in case of the nuclear holocaust, we already know that if you actually are in the bunker, you're trapped there for hundreds of years now because if you go outside, the radiation is going to burn you. And it's like, what is the point? If, if you and your family, say four or five people are all that survived in that bunker, wouldn't it have been better to just say, hey, listen, let's go in the middle of the blast and let's finish it off in no time at all so that we don't have to, you know, suffer? Cause you're not going to be able to repopulate the world. You're not going to be able to really do much. Yes, Why but- not? You know, go with it. We have an innate sense that's kind of built into us to survive. We have a survival instinct. It's, you know, evolutionary. We, we've evolved that. We've evolved this, you know, this, this sense of self, of self-preservation that we need to protect. And, and I think in these people, they, they're, they're just acting on it to an extreme, right. I think. But I think that they're just acting on that survival instinct that is innate in all yeah. of us. I'm inclined to agree. I'm I'm also thinking about the fact that if we're that concerned about if, if we've got people who are that concerned about what's going on, what's it what's it actually saying about our society? What's it saying about us? Well, so, it's not saying anything about us. It's a small minority of people that are doing this kind of stuff. It, it it isn't like it like everybody's doing it. If everybody's doing it, maybe then it would be saying something. But as it is, it's an extreme fringe element that that I'm inclined to say it doesn't say anything much about us as a society. I would also point out that it's not new behavior. No. There has always been people long before the nuclear age, long before the zombie. You know, I mean, there's always been this idea that the world is about to end by, as Brian's saying, a fringe element that's kind of always believed it and spends their life prepping for it. We've talked about these people in other shows. But I don't I think don't all of them are French, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but it's just, you know, one of those um, levels of mentality that I can't ever understand how you get there. But, I mean, you just think about it, though, Ian. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I'd love to think that I would go with dignity and, you know, and, and just kind of accept my fate, kind of have the rationalization that, you know, oh, you're better off dying in the initial blast. But, like, when you watch those, you know, great disaster movies and stuff where they start blowing up LA and stuff like that. The aliens come down and, you know, start shooting things. I'm fairly certain I'd be one of those idiots running away, even though I've got nowhere I could, you know, realistically get to that I'm going to be saved. But I think the, that survival instinct is going to kick in and I'm going to find myself running anyway. Well, I agree to that. There's that level. Is but it- like, more with nuclear war, I, I, I think I would much rather say, you know what? I, I, I'm going to stay out here and let myself end it. Hey, guys, I'm going to go ahead and drop out. Okay. I, I disagree. I really think at that point, what's the harm in at least trying to survive? It depends on the situation. Though. Like I so said, with the nuclear holocaust, we've screwed ourselves over. The, the, there's nothing you can do. All, all you can really do is you know, trap yourself in a very small structure and... You know, just and you'll you'll die sooner or later. There, you know, your food can only last so long. You're gonna end up. I, I don't think I'd want to die of starvation. I, you know, if I was locking myself in there, I'd hope I'd have a gun ready. Okay, we're out of food. Who wants to shoot themselves first and get it over with? I, I really think that sc- 
screwed is the operative word here. Get that last screw. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you don't have to you know, do that in a bomb shelter and say, hey, honey, um, missiles are coming. We're in the middle of the street. Who cares if the police arrest us? Let's get to work. Go out in the middle of it. That sounds good to me. <laughs> if your wife's not around, it's like, you know what? That woman over there, she looks kind of attractive. Listen, lady, we're about to die in you know a few minutes. I, I've been completely faithful to my wife all this time, but I really don't have time to hunt her down, and I kind of would like to go on a positive note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's almost I as... Have, no, has anybody seen that, that new movie, um, Seeking a Best Friend for the End of the World? No. I haven't seen it. No. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen it yet either, but you know, I think it kind of addresses a little bit of that kind of mentality of, you know, when you know the end is coming, what is important? You know, yeah. what would you do with it? I, I again, I, I I don't know what my answer is. I I find the the question quite fascinating, though. But don't you think once again, this is a luxury of this is a first world problem? Because <laughs> do you think that people in third world countries are prepping for the for you know the apocalypse? Right, probably not. I mean, this is this is a this is luxury apocalypse building. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> We're jacked up. We have too much free time. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying that no. I'm I'm what I'm I'm not even saying that we're jacked up. I'm saying that because we have this fairly stable society, that we don't have enough to worry about. So we're trying to find new things to worry about. That's what I think. That that's what I think is going on here. I mean, there are actual disasters that we can prepare for. In Colorado, we can be preparing for being snowed in for a couple of days. If you live on the coast. You can prepare for hurricanes. Um, if, you know, or, or in Colorado, we can, you know, we can prepare for fires. There are certain things that we can prepare for that are going to happen to us, but we can't predict a nuclear, um, explosion. We can't, you know, and so I, I don't know. I, I almost think it's not worth prepping for. I agree. I agree. Definitely not worth prepping for. I, I, like I said, I, what I find fascinating is just the, the thought process involved, the catching up with all the details and stuff like that. And just, I do think that there is that funny, like you said, kind of ironically funny way that we're, you know, we're living in a world where I think, I think there's some, um, what do you call it? Uh, appeal to the idea of the world ending and there's just that group of survivors left. I mean, I think it's it's the reason that we keep seeing all of these movies keep coming up and stuff is because it appeals to us, this idea of, well, what would you do if you didn't have to go to work every day? What yeah. would you do when the world, all the rules you have are gone and you have to reevaluate everything? You know, it's appealing in a in a weird sense. Not like you, you'd never kind of want to say out loud, I kinda, it'd be great if like most of the population you know, was gone or dead or, you know, some kind of horrible thing happened. But I think our minds do play with this. You know, this whole society keeps us in very strict control. What would happen if that was gone suddenly? It'd be a very different yeah. world. Peter Schilling, um, who's a, a German singer, has a uh, a song about the lone survivor locked away in his, you know, his underground um, facility. And, and, and in the end, the guy's just lonely. Yeah. <laughs> So it, it is, it, it is an interesting phenomenon, and it and I think that Katrina sparked a lot of this. We've had other disasters, but for whatever reason, um, Katrina. It, after Katrina is when I really started to see these um, uh, companies built around um, survival really started to gear up. And you, can, there's all sorts of places to buy like the heirloom seeds. Um, there's all sorts of places to buy these dried meals and stuff like that that will last a long time. Um, there's the food insurance, but that's only one. I, I listened to a show called The Paracast, and they constantly have, um, you know, like big Berkey water filters, and, and, and they're also selling, you know, um, all this stuff that you need to have. And boy, the salesman that they have doing that, it's slick. You know, it's like, you know, that you need to protect yourself. And, you know, this is how you can do it. They're very slick at doing it, but it's become a huge business opportunity. And I think Katrina, I really, I really do think it's after Katrina that we had the big boom for this. It's been around for a long time, but I think Katrina really inspired a lot of this stuff. Yeah, well, and and uh, the Y2K thing was a big kind of sales on this kind of stuff yeah. too. Like I say, it's kind of cyclical. It kind of happens quite a lot, but it it is interesting how it 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 is kind of always constantly there. And um, and like I said, just uh, fascinating how how we kind of stick with it. You know, you want to 
just kind of figure out all of the stuff that would be involved in it. Like I said, I, I read post-apocalyptic fiction all the time. I find it absolutely that's one thing i've not gotten into well do you remember the riffs role-playing game from palladium that was a post-apocalyptic world that was it was a lot of fun Mm, kind of but i don't think never really had an apocalypse moment no because because what we were playing was after the apocalypse but still in that world there was no real direct apocalypse moment there was a drastic change in 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 the world no 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 when you read that when you read the books for the original riffs it's it's it, there was an apocalypse it oh, happened okay. and yeah. that's what and that's what opened the ley lines and brought magic and psychics and all that kind of stuff into the world okay so yeah so we never really dealt with that when we were when we were playing the game but that's how the world evolved and see, that's one of the interesting things. What classifies an apocalypse moment? Um, you know, we're listing things that don't seem to wipe out all life on Earth. So, you know, what is the actual definition of apocalypse? To me, well, it's something that could, you know, potentially wipe out all life on Earth. That's why Rift never felt like an apocalypse to me, because the universe, you know, the, the impression I got was it was a near apocalypse. Well, but it was a- there was plenty of life left. Well, it was a post-apocalyptic world. It was, you know, the the rebuild. After they, you know, after the society rebuilt. But there's a lot of movies that are post-apocalyptic too. I mean, um, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Cyborg was a post-apocalyptic world. There's a, there's a bunch of that kind of stuff. I mean, Terminator was yeah, trying to prevent the apocalypse. They're pockets of humans. They are being yeah. wiped out. In, in Rifts, it never felt like the human race was actually in any jeopardy. Well, that might have been the fault of the GM. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> might have been me who, who yeah. didn't express that. That'd be the other thing, you know, some of the stuff these the um, preppers were listing, I mean, like an earthquake that's going to take out L.A., that's not really an apocalyptic moment. That's going to affect one portion of the country. The rest yeah. of the world might not even notice. So, you know, that definitely wouldn't be lifted up as an apocalypse. Well, and if the biblical apocalypse happens, there's no way to prepare for that. Yeah. So, you know, the concept of, of apocalypse is interesting because, like I say, in my mind, an actual apocalypse is an event that potentially can wipe out all life on Earth. Okay. Anything less than that, to me, doesn't feel like an apocalypse. Things can survive it, but they're going to be small pockets of life. And so, you know, some of this idea of what is the apocalypse is kind of, you know, it'd be something to look up what the actual definition of. Well, we have yeah, time. I don't, I don't know if there is one. But like you say, I mean, it, it certainly would be a pretty boring fiction story if absolutely everything got wiped out. Yeah. What would you be know, the point? You'd have the lonely guy in the bunker, if even that. Um, one of the, uh, I, I like the disease one. So they had that movie Contagion out last year. I don't know if you ever got to see that. It's a really great movie on a couple of different levels, um, including just the scientific study kind of thing, you know, an examination of what society, what would happen to society if all of a sudden this disease came down. But it was very weird watching it because kind of to Ian's point, I was waiting for it to kind of come down to, okay, 1% of the population is left alive. You know, what are they going to do? But it, it that's not how the movie worked at all. It was more of like a good say 20% of the world's population got wiped out by this disease. Yes, which, that was an apocalypse. Right, that's not an apocalypse, but it completely changed things. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and, and that's really interesting when you think, you know, well, you know, 8 out of 10 people survive, yeah. um, well, one and yet everything's different. One interesting thing I ran across recently was talking about how one of the main reasons why the white settlers to North America were able takeovers they did was because um it was not that long after a plague had hit north america the indian population was decimated and so they weren't as um strong as they had been so when the white man comes um the tribes are not as large as they were they're not as unified there's a lot more you know stuff going on and so the white man suddenly can dominate when if they would come about 100 years before um the history of america might have been drastically changed Hello? Yep, we're here. I'm yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd never heard that one before. Yeah. No, I, um, I ran across an article talking about it. It's like that actually makes sense because if you study a lot of the um, pre-white man coming to America, there were some pretty big areas of trade and stuff for the Native American. The, the, you know, real trade routes, a lot more stuff going on. But apparently, I, I'd have to look it up. I think it was about 80 years before Columbus actually hit that the plague had come and had really drastically altered the whole landscape of America before, um, and so the white men come in, everything had changed, you know, they're still adjusting to this whole new thing, and they don't have the strength they once did. 
So an apocalypse is a revelation of something hidden. Uh, a really in religious context, it usually is is usually relevant relevance of a hidden meaning hidden from mankind in the era of dom- dominated by falsehoods and misconceptions. So it isn't necessarily considered a wiping out of everything. We definitely misuse it. Yeah, well, that and that's possible too that we're misusing it. Um, and they talk about it goes on to talk about uh, in Revelation, the Revelations of John, the last book in the New Testament. Uh, uh, in which John receives a revelation, uh, receives is that an ultimate victory of good over evil and the end of in the perceived age. Uh, so many people have used the word apocalypse very loosely to refer to end time scenario or to the end of the world in general. So that's not necessarily the roots of the word. Right. Um, it just so it's a revelation of something hidden. Okay. So in, in the in the context of my role playing game, all the ley lines became revealed. Oh yeah, I, I agree. So it works. This and it does work. Yeah. So I mean, so if there if people are loosely re, um, meaning it to mean the end of the world, but that's not necessarily the root of the word. Right. Uh, yeah, we're using it wrong. But well, it's evolved. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, lots of things have one meaning beginning, but. It's come to mean, you know, end of the world scenario. And again, I think that that does have different definitions based on who you are, what what would end your world, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But I think you know, it, you know, what people use it incorrectly. They use it as a scare word, and there are people that are profiting off of it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think there's always people like that. And like you say, there's that, that line between where it's kind of a mental game and where you're actually preparing for it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I had some fun, interesting conversations, like, with my sister. She's not much of a news kind of person or anything, but while we were talking about various different things, she said to me, so, you know, what's what's up with this 2000, you know, this Mayan calendar thing? I, I don't have to worry about that, right? And I'm like, no, no, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but she really kind of has, she lives in this world where that's a possibility, you know? She doesn't, you know, she doesn't, she hasn't committed to it. She's not stockpiling her house, but... You know, the end of the world kind of could happen, I suppose. It was very, it was just kind of very funny how other people kind of approach it, you know, like, we're so sure, because we've done our research and we realize, you know, these are the same uh, charlatans who have, you know, done other end of the world scenarios, bilking money out of people. Well, I don't know, the world could end tomorrow. We don't know, but I'm not too worried about it. Well, in in some respects, it's not worth giving a lot of time um, thinking about either. I mean, if it could end tomorrow, and that's a possibility, then then it's over. I mean, I I have other things that I can concern myself with than that that are more relevant because I can't predict that. It's kind of like the people that worry so much about um, the possibilities of dying. It's like no matter what you do every day, there's a possibility you will die. If you go out worrying about the possibility of you dying every day, you're not going to enjoy life. And, and so it's pointless. Just enjoy life. If it happens, it happens. You know, And that's that. That's how I see it. Well, and this is where it comes back to this is the life that we have to live. And we have to do with it the most that we can and the most that we want to. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with a gentleman this weekend. Um, from one of the atheist groups, and, you know, he's like, well, if that person didn't have religion, what could they have done? If they weren't satisfied with this, you know, with this idea that, um, you know, that God was going to save them and that they had done good and that they believed in Jesus and that they were going to heaven, if they didn't, if they didn't have that crutch, what could they have done for society? And, and, and that's interesting, right? But on the other hand, well, but that's the choice they made. And if they were, if they felt good about those choices, in some ways, uh, you know, they had a fulfilled life. Mm-hmm. Not my fulfilled life, right? But who am I to put my expectations of what they could have done on them? Right. I guess that's another topic entirely, isn't it? It might be. Yeah, yeah. Did remind me of that, though. All right. Well, is there anything else? 
I, th- I think as we don't have any apocalypse coming, you know, that we know about, that we can really talk about, and we don't have any kind of crazy douchebaggy people, you know, trying to get people to have national campaigns or certain dates in mind or anything like that that's new, yeah, we'd probably wrap it up. Yeah. I will say um, we're working on an interview with uh, Garth, um, say the Sundum. last name, Sunder? Sundum. Sundum. Sorry. Oh, it's as- like Gundam. Gundam. Oh, okay. Well, now I can remember it. Sundom. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we started that interview. Um, it isn't concluded. So, um, we are working on that. And so hopefully we'll have that coming up. And he, cause he wrote the book, uh, that were, his most recent book is Brain Trust, which is a fantastic read. I, I definitely recommend that everybody go out and read this book and, uh, and leave him a review on Amazon and, uh, get more people to read it. Uh, it's a heck of a lot of fun. He goes through a whole bunch of different, uh, um, science. He talked to a whole bunch of different PhD scientists and what he got for them was not necessarily your typical scientific works per se. Um, it is what they were working on, but it seemed to be like it was more what the scientist um, was like passionate about and what they were the most interested about. And so the book ends up being a lot of fun, has a lot of good tips in it. And I really enjoyed listening to it. And he reads it on Audible, by the way. He read it to me. It was very nice of him. That's awesome. I yeah, think he, I, I yeah. just I read the the physical copy. I got to see him at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. He was he was the presenter at the Science of the Perfect Life. That's how they originally built it. And uh, and he talked about some of the stories in there. And he was just such a great presenter. It was a, a super fun. Uh, evening and you know what I really loved and I loved about the book too is he's got all this great scientific stuff but it's not like you know you're going over math problems and all this theories to make it really hard to follow it's very very accessible but at the same time it doesn't feel dumbed down it, it just feels really well written and, and just fun yeah it was it's a, yeah exactly it's a lot of fun so alright is there anything else that's all I've got alright we'll say goodnight everybody goodnight alright And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under Creative Commons, no derivatives, 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright. Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 